Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, and welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California. My name is Elizabeth Carney. I'm the chair of the Business and Leadership Forum and your host for today's program entitled uh, Ecosystem of Hope, Immigrant Entrepreneurs, Stimulate the Economy, Grow the Middle Class, and Spice Things Up. We invite our audience to visit us on the internet at commonwealthclub.org to learn more about the many fine program events we have here at the club. Uh, Indeed, on October 8th, we'll have a discussion about Capitalism Reconsidered, What Business Can Do to Lead the Change. That's with Peter Georgescu. And on October 17th, a program and book signing called What Makes Food Good with Mark Bittman and Anna LaPay. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce our distinguished moderator, Liana Perez, Dr. Perez, Director of Research and Entrepreneurship, Immigrants Rising. She will introduce our panel. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for that wonderful introduction. I'm thrilled to be here today to engage in conversation with our amazing panel of Latina leaders, Alicia, Luz, Yeti, and Nayeli, who will talk about their winning strategies to support immigrant entrepreneurs. And Alicia will share how she was able to use the support from some of these organizations to gain rapid growth in her business. But before we get started with the conversation, I'd like to give some additional context on the topic of immigrant entrepreneurship. The spirit of entrepreneurship is at the core of the American dream and foundational to the growth of the U.S. economy, with immigrant entrepreneurs numbering about 3 million and generating almost 70 billion in income. Immigrant entrepreneurs make important contributions across all sectors of the economy through innovation and perspectives that drive new ideas and promote social change. This is true for women and men selling goods and services in the formal and informal markets, immigrants thriving in the tech industry launching apps and websites, founders of nonprofit organizations, professionals starting their own businesses, and all other immigrants who are not only surviving in this country, but are also thriving through entrepreneurship. Immigrant entrepreneurship has increasingly become a topic of interest as more immigrants continue to take the lead in business ownership. In fact, as of 2016, it was estimated that immigrants started businesses at about twice the rate of U.S.-born people and represented about one-third of all new entrepreneurs. Further research shows that more than half of the country's startup companies worth $1 billion or more were founded by immigrants, and we certainly don't have to look too far to see these examples in our own backyard here in the Bay Area. And when we talk about immigrants, we're also talking about undocumented immigrants who, in fact, can earn a living through entrepreneurship regardless of their immigration status. It's estimated that about 10% of all immigrant entrepreneurs are undocumented. My academic, professional, and advocacy work for almost a decade has focused on this topic, informing the undocumented community about income generation options through entrepreneurship. And academically, my dissertation research showed that undocumented immigrants are more likely to pursue entrepreneurship and generate higher business income compared to U.S.-born and naturalized uh, naturalized immigrants. Immigrants Rising is an organization that I work with that supports undocumented entrepreneurs by providing training and financial support exclusively for undocumented social entrepreneurs. But despite all of these successes of immigrant entrepreneurs, many challenges exist. For example, access to capital is a very big challenge for immigrant entrepreneurs to start up and scale. Most immigrant entrepreneurs rely on personal savings, and if they have the social capital, um, they may be able to get funding from friends and family. Some of the challenges related to access to financial capital have to do with having no credit history, perhaps not having a social security number, unfamiliar with credit rules, and discrimination from banks. Another major challenge is related to scalability of a business. Um, Oftentimes, it's difficult to navigate the system. For example, rules and regulations related to the incorporation of businesses, getting business licenses, certification, and even hiring employees. Oftentimes, immigrant entrepreneurs do not know where to go to ask for help, particularly in resource-constrained areas. 
Other challenges that immigrant entrepreneurs are dealing with include language and cultural barriers and heightened discrimination, particularly given our current anti-immigrant political climate. But today, we're going to get to hear all about the great work that is being done on the ground to help immigrant entrepreneurs overcome these challenges and ensure their success. So to get us started with our conversation today, I'd like to start by asking Alicia, why do you think it's important to invest in and support immigrant entrepreneurs such as yourself? I think, well, first, I just want to say thank you so much to having me here. It's a big honor and, and really happy to share my history. And I think that the um, immigrants entrepreneurs are some of the most ambitious and talent, talent workers. Um, but with a list of, uh, you know, loans that it was really like for me in, in personally it was like a big a struggle and to have access to the loans and you know that they don't trust too much about the business but as soon as we receive these uh, these resources it's great because we <coughs> we can expand and grow our our business and and in that in that way we can make a really nice and, and positive impact in the country and you know in great america make america great and <laughs> and um, right. yeah and like in my case um i hire um i'm just hiring uh people right now and my i feel my heart really um you know happy to see all of these people um, working and making sure that they are going to bring, you know, uh, food to their tables and, and make the education of the, uh, her kids, their kids really um, safe. And it's, it's one of my commitments. Yeah. And I think that we are really important to make this uh, country better because we make a big impact and in, in in the economic and the social way. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alicia. My pleasure. Yeah. Luz, <laughs> why do you why do you think it's important to invest in and support the immigrant entrepreneurs? Because we work really hard. We create a lot of jobs. Yeah. We create a lot of economic activity. And if you look overall at small businesses, small businesses employ fifty percent of the workforce in America. And they create 63% of net new jobs and nearly 50% of the non-farm GDP, right? So, you know, business entrepreneurship is second only to home ownership in helping to create wealth. And what you find is that entrepreneurship among immigrants, people of color, and women is not only growing dramatically, but it's also part of a huge component of closing that economic wealth gap. So there is wealth gap. So, you know, there's a lot of societal potential here that we need to take advantage of. And you did a lot of statistics. Uh, something that really surprised me is that between 2007 and 2017, right. minority and immigrant-owned businesses grew by 79% mm -hmm. to almost 11 million businesses, right? And that's 10 times faster than the growth rate of 7.6% of general U.S. businesses in that same period. Latina-owned businesses grew by 172%. And that, there you go, yes, yes. And that was the largest growth of any of the minority populations. And when you, among the Fortune 500 companies, 40% of those were established by immigrants or children of immigrants. So we're going to talk about the challenges and obstacles, but... Economic opportunity, economic activity, jobs, and yet we don't really get the resources, mainly capital and other, that we need in order to grow and prosper. Great. Thank you so much, <laughs> Yeti, what do you think about this topic? <laughs> well, um, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me here. I'm, I'm so happy to be here today. Um, and I would say that, you know, I agree, you know, the, the small businesses and immigrant <clears throat> entrepreneurs serve as engines in, our, in the local communities and their economies. Um, but there's two also, there's two other major contributions that the immigrant entrepreneurs bring. One of them is giving back to their communities. Mm -hmm. When they thrive and when they do really good and we help them succeed, 
they give back and invest back into the local community. So whether it's in their local church or the local nonprofit organizations, the, um, the profits that they make from their businesses are staying there locally. Mm-hmm. And the second, excuse me the second thing is that um because they're immigrant entrepreneurs they have connections with their home country where they're from and that allows them to bring global relationships into the community that they're at so whether it's opportunities of exporting or importing a product whether they're making a product or they're manufacturing something whatever it is that they're doing they bring those additional opportunities to the communities that they live in so i think that you know based on the businesses that we've been working with we see that as a major contribution of immigrant entrepreneurs as well Thank you. And Nayeli, why do you think it's important to contribute to immigrant entrepreneurs? Uh, I've really loved hearing what everyone has shared already. So I think just to build on what Yeti had shared already, uh, a lot of the time people in the, you know, kind of predominantly white male, larger business community uh, will refer to businesses that do what Yeti's describing as like a, a social impact business. Mm. And that framing opens up a whole new set of capital opportunities. Um, even just using those words will trigger the opportunities for meetings and connections and access. Um, and so a lot of what we think about at the Alliance for Community Development, um, we're <laughs> celebrating our 20th anniversary this Friday. So if you're, if you're free to come this Friday, I'm happy to, to speak with you afterwards and tell you more about it and offer you even a discount code just for being here. Um, but I do think it's really important to recognize the, the real depth of impact that happens when someone comes not just with a desire to make money, but has a, a deeply rooted dream to have a better life and to build a better life, not just for themselves, but for their community. And the ripple effect that can happen when that is not only recognized, but invested in at scale is huge. Um, and just thinking about the growth that you described, um, that you know, 70 plus percent growth, imagine what it would look like if that percentage of, of businesses that have just begun in, the, in that period of time had been fully uh, able to access capital that they need. Mm-hmm. And, and just think about what that would do to change the world that we walk around in if we were able to find those dollars and put them into the hands of people who are very deeply rooted in the impact in their community. Um, and so that's a big part of, of why I think it's so important. Not, not just, I think one part that I did want to mention in this conversation is we do work with entrepreneurs who are also women and people of color, people who've been in the justice system, um, people who uh, are working with disabilities of all different kinds, um, people who are neurodiverse. And, and there are very similar stories of people who are rooted in something deeper than, than just the profit. Great. Thank you so much for that. Um, And speaking about this growth and the importance of um, investing in immigrant entrepreneurs, um, I'd like for you all all to talk about about what are the elements that contribute the most to the success, the scalability, the growth of these immigrant entrepreneur businesses. And when you go around, if you could really talk about what it is that your organizations are doing to promote this growth with the immigrant entrepreneurs that you work with. And this time we'll switch it around. So we'll start with Nayeli this time. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So one piece, you use the word navigation earlier, and we use that word a lot. So uh, we offer free navigational support sessions where an entrepreneur can sit down with a resource navigator for free for an hour. Um, And we do check-ins also for free. Um, And sometimes those run an hour plus if we really make a connection with them. Um, And we just get to chatting about things. And uh, one of the big pieces that we started doing was offering those sessions in Spanish. Um, One of our navigators, Cynthia Flores, who we met through Prospera originally, and Maite is here from Prospera. I just want to give them a shout out too. (laughs) We navigate a lot of um, women entrepreneurs who might be interested in building out a worker cooperative to Prospera, and they do really incredible work. Um, But 
that navigational support is often what we find is challenging for all kinds of folks, people who were born in this country, but the added level of navigating a system that you were not born into and maybe don't have the network of folks who've been navigating that system for generations um, is definitely a challenge that we've seen has made an impact with the folks that we work with when we started offering that service. Great. Thank you. Um, well, for the Fresno Area Hispanic Foundation, our mission states that um, we promote education and self-sufficiency. And so for us, education is key. And so what we do is we provide what we call technical assistance, which is that one-on-one um, time that we provide to all the entrepreneurs that we work with so that we can guide them and through the, the process, whether they're looking to start a business or they're, whether they already have a business. And that goes in hand with um, being able to obtain a small business loan, right? Because we want to make sure that they are um, educated on the type of loan that they're going to be receiving, that they are educated on, um, that they're prepared to take a loan and prepared to, to make the payment and be responsible with, with the loan. And so um, with the one-on-one technical assistance that we provide, we're able to get a consensus of the topics that these entrepreneurs are wanting to learn about. And so we provide um, an average of three different workshops a month. Um, we service the, the Central Valley um, in Fresno. And so we have um, different um, topics like, you know, discussing credit, discussing um, business management, because a lot of the immigrant entrepreneurs that we work with, they're really good at what they do, but they don't always have the education to know how to run their books, right? They come with notebooks, you know, written with a pen. And so that's part of the education that we provide to them, how to have a financial system in place, because that's what's going to lead them to the success. Um, Marketing, you know, it's another big um, uh, topic that we share with them because we want to help them grow. We want to help them, um, you know, expand their businesses, whether it's, you know, growing in size or opening up new locations. Um, so for us at the Fresno Area Hispanic Foundation, we're really um, focused on providing the education. I think that, um, you know, there's not enough that you can learn, right? You're always constantly learning. And I think, you know, Alisa, we yeah. were just talking earlier, <laughs> you know, there's, we, we are supporting, we have an initiative where we're supporting women entrepreneurs and um, it's, it, the education is key and the mentorship is key because when you get to share best practices, when they get to hear it from somebody that's had experiences with their business, um, you know, that helps, that helps them. And I think helping each other is, um, part of that education component as well. So for us, education is huge. And we're very grateful. We have a wonderful partnership yes. with <laughs> Jerry and her team, and they've given us an enormous amount of welcome to enter uh, Central Valley. So the combination of the services that you all provide, plus the capital and the credit that we provide, is bringing that one-stop shop, that very robust resource into the community to, to help more, more immigrant businesses. Um, but just briefly, uh, for those of you who don't know who we are, Opportunity Fund is the largest nonprofit microlender in the nation. And very simple, our mission is to offer responsible and affordable capital uh, to underserved entrepreneurs and, and communities. Um, I'm, talk a little bit about sort of at the high level, not just for immigrants, but for every small business entrepreneur that comes to us. First and foremost is responsibility. So we underwrite every loan because it's very important that we give people money that they can afford to pay back. Um, you know, we talk about doing underwriting on numbers, but we do underwriting on character. You know, I've been lending for 20 plus, actually more than that, but I won't say how long, years. <laughs> and there's, you know, first time I walked into the bank and got trained, it was the five C's of credit. Character is the number one. Capacity, cash flow, and collateral. And for us, knowing who we're doing business with <laughs> is really important. Um, the other piece uh, for immigrants, which is crucial, is we report to the credit bureaus. Okay? And so that is, why is that important? In the U.S., particularly, if you don't have a credit score, you don't have an identity. And what that means is that you can't 
buy anything on credit. You, in many places, don't get a job. You can't connect utilities. And so to me, it's like the passport to the American financial system. It's an asset. It's not a luxury. So we help people build credit and improve credit. Mm-hmm. The other piece that, that's very particular is the way you know we partner to provide financial advice. And we also do a lot of it ourselves as it re- relates to the loan. And that's throughout the underwriting process and also after the loan is, is, is closed. Um, unfortunately, you know, borrowers from time to time, they get in trouble. And for some circumstances, they have even no control over. And the ability to have a very strong, very humane collections engine in place that helps the borrower get back on their feet, restructure the loan, extend the payments, that really is what ultimately drives the success of these businesses. And then last but not least, we try to make sure that they pay us back. So we make paying us back, you know, as simple as it possibly can be. Now, when you talk about the immigrant population, there are other things. Having a cultural competence in the team is extremely important, Mm -hmm. right? Speaking the language, living in the community, understanding what they're doing. Um, we and our staffs, particularly in the loan officers, you know, that's where you build a lot of credibility. And so we have folks that speak 14 languages. So when you have someone like Adela in San Bernardino, now that shows that I'm Latina with that accent, right? <laughs> People will say Adela San Bernardino, no, San Bernardino. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, when she make, closes a loan for a borrower, that's not the last time she's going to see that borrower. She's going to see that borrower in the community, in the grocery store, in their school kids, in the soccer team. And that's very, very important. The other piece is collateral. Immigrants don't have a lot of collateral and don't have a lot of assets. And so how do you lend large amounts of money without collateral? Banks would never do that, right? We have learned to do that and do it safely on an unsecured basis by looking at the cash flow. And then the cash flow, depending on the size of the business. I mean, I've been doing lending into the Latino immigrant community for over 20 years. And I will tell you that these stories are true. I see them here and I've seen them before. We have borrowers that show up with a shoebox of receipts. And we have to be able to manage and put together the business picture and their cash flow. Can you imagine, and I don't know if there are any bankers here, but can you imagine somebody walking into a Wells Fargo bank and saying, here's my cash flow? They're not going to get a loan, right? And so that's what you have to do if you're going to be working with this community. And then there are more formalized businesses, right? And we look at other bank statements and tax returns and all that. But it's really, really important to understand the community that you're working with and being able to adapt and design the product set for that community. You know, we have a small business loan that's called the express loan. That's a graduating loan. A lot less requirements, a lot less documentation. But it's really important that we target products for, for this community that needs them that needs them the most. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And then Alicia, for you, if you can talk to us about the kind of support that has been most helpful to you. I know that you've had support from Opportunity Fund. So, you know, can you talk to us a little bit a little bit about that? Sure. Honestly I am agree with uh, with my partners right here. Uh, for example for me, uh, nonprofit organizations are really had been a very important ingredient in the success of my business and the growth of my business, because without them, I simple I can make it. So the first thing that I um, um, find the nonprofit organization was La Cocina, from where I, I am graduated. They trust on my dream and you know in my product. Then beside that, um, in, the, in the financial um, side, uh, the first one was a uh, mission asset funds. That in, with them, I start my first lending <laughs> lending circle, and I remember that I have like a like a old uh, Nissan Quest van <laughs> that I need to pay my um, you know the DMB certification and everything. So with those, I remember it was one thousand dollars. So I just invest on them, and then after that. I I start to grow a little bit more, and then I realize that I I need more mm-hmm. new vans and vehicles. So it's when opportunity uh, funds come to our life. <laughs> <laughs> then right now we have like uh, four of them, four huge vans that I am all, in all over the Bay Area doing caterings, and it was a really big support for us, and as well as Meda. Meda is another nonprofit organization who help us in, you know, in the uh, education, like you say, like uh, doing uh, business plans and all the financial 
um, part of the business, HR, many things that uh, I am right, right now facing that when I, I start, you know, I start by myself and just doing all all the things, uh, doing my um, shoppings and selling and marketing and everything, but in a really small scale. And right now it's like uh, I'm doing in, in, in the, I mean, just in, literally in the big leech <laughs> and just facing with this um, HR and financial things that I, on the beginning, I didn't realize that I'm going to have this, you know, this uh, in how can I say um, struggles, and uh, but I'm I'm getting more educated and and so happy because right now with the support of the nonprofit organizations, I am in Chase Center, and uh, this all the whole year, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, in Berkeley Ball, I'm, I'm going to start with um, a, a Whole Foods too, and Ooh. it's like Ooh. yes, nice. and um, I have my inspection of the USDA uh, two days ago. They approved me like 99 percent. I just have to fix some small details in, in the in our factory that is your home. Anytime you are so welcome to come mm. and enjoy the tamales. There is a thousand of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are making a production right now, like I can say like 40,000 tamales wow. per That's month. Nice. And maybe it's gonna be more because uh, in Chase Center every uh, Monday and Wednesday, they say, Alicia, please bring me 1,500 tamales. I said, okay. <laughs> and then Wednesday, two, 2,200 tamales. So it's, and this is the game is not starting, so I can imagine <laughs> when it's the... Yeah, but really happy. Yeah. And like I say, you know, all these big blessings that um, we are receiving, I really want to pass this, all of these good things that are to another... Uh, ladies or women, entrepreneurs that they really want to. And it, I'm just, I'm going to be just there for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. A, a point to what you're saying, Alicia, which is really important, and traditional lenders generally don't understand this, right? Making loans to Alicia has not always been a slam dunk. I mean, it's been times when you go, okay, how are we going to get this done? There was never a doubt in our mind that we were making a loan to Alicia and that she would look after that business like she would look after her life, mm -hmm. and that her responsibility she would always fulfill. So that's where you as a nonprofit and all of us have that flexibility, right, yeah. to get beyond the numbers and to get to the real character of the individual that's running that organization. See. We're very proud of you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. No, and I want to say thank you so much to Opportunity Funds because they just give me another loan. <laughs> it wasn't easy. <laughs> no, this morning I was really happy talking with the technician or engineering that they are going to come to our location to make more like nice equipment. I want to keep hand, handcraft. Mm -hmm. Food, but anyway, we need a, like a tiny helping, you know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, but they are expensive. Like for example, uh, one machine that say vacuum, vacuum seal. Uh -huh. oh, yeah, yeah, that one so. is like twenty one thousand. So I say, oh my god, how am I gonna get it? But here we go. <laughs> 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 yeah, and and just give me the wings to. To fly and grow and mm. yeah and make a really nice, like I say, positive impact in the economic of this country, and grow and get more, hire more people and happy. <laughs> yeah, and I can say that, uh, you know, every day, every single day, I say thanks God and to all the nonprofit organizations, thinking every single day and pinching myself. I say, oh, it's true. <laughs> But it's uh, in another like um, really nice feeling that I I have is like uh, I just enjoy you know like my ladies are really um, confident that they they are having a, um, growing and saving money for her their kids to have a nice nice education because they just start 
to, you know, to talk with me. Oh, I'm, my kid is going to go to the college and happy. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really nice. Thank you so much, Alicia. <laughs> Truly just an example of the innovation, the creativity that, you know, many immigrant entrepreneurs have. And something else that I noticed in a lot of the comments was um, the importance of having lots of different organizations to provide the different types of support that are needed. We talked about training. We talked about the need for financial uh, support. So that those kind of collaborations are so important for, you know, uh, the, the entrepreneurs and for other organizations to know about and know who to refer to. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now back to our program. gears a little bit, um, I want to do a little bit of myth busting. So there's a lot of negative narratives around immigrants generally and our current political climate, a lot of negative information about immigrants stealing jobs. So I'd like to ask um, each one of you, what's one common misperception you hear about immigrants running their own businesses? And anyone who's ready to jump in on that question can get started. I can start. Go ahead, Luke. Um, the one thing that you always hear and the reason why, you know, there's limited access to this kind of responsible capital is, oh, my God, they're so high risk, right? Lending to undocumented immigrants or lending to Hispanics that don't have experience is such high risk. That is the furthest from the truth. When you give someone that does not have credit or has a very thin file an opportunity to take a loan, It's not a handout, it's a hand up. You will have created the most loyal and responsible partner that you could ever find. And so the idea that, well, you can't lend to them because they don't have social securities or they're illegal, that's that's not true. Um, A lot of people don't know this. When you're going to do business with someone, even the banks, They don't need to ask whether you're legal or not or whether you have a social security or not. What they need to make sure is that they can validate positively that you are who you say you are. And that's the USA Patriot Act and the Know Your Customer. And the way to do that, you could do it with a picture ID from your home country. Okay? So that is a way that, you know, we've been lending to this community for 25 years and been doing it very successful. Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, a social security number is an asset, but it's not a requirement. And so I think that those myths um, are, are things that those of us in the field have to continue to combat day in and day out and show the numbers, show the facts, show the statistics that show that the quality of credit and the quality of borrower that one has when you help folks like Alicia and give them an opportunity will pay for life, both for them and for the institution. <laughs> Thank you. I hope the lending institutions hear this message and also the recording of this conversation today. Yeah. Um, well, um, to add, you know, to, to what Luz was just explaining, um, we hear that, you know, entrepreneurs, immigrant entrepreneurs are not always in compliance with all the regulations. And we find that when they're coming to us, they want to know what do they need to be in compliance? You know, what licensing and permitting do they need? You know, if they have employees, what do they need to have to make sure that they're okay and and that they're doing everything the way that they should be doing, Um, including being compliant with ADA if they have a building, you know, making sure that they're in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's how we get most of the topics for the workshops that we provide for them because we see them coming in with questions and we say, okay, well, if they're asking us about this, we may have to address this topic in one of our workshops. And, um, you know, we help them get, uh, be in compliance with local, state, and federal 
uh, regulations, making sure that they know their tax obligations, because that's a big one. And the, 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 it goes back to the education, right? It's kind of like, you don't know what you don't know. So if they're coming from um, a country that they didn't have a business there and they didn't know what the regulations were over there, they're not going to know what they're here. And so that's why, again, we bring in that education component so that we can educate them and tell them this is, this is how you need to have um, your business. We were just um, talking about it earlier that if you have, if you don't have a social security number, you can have an individual tax identification number. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to allow you to be able to get your um, business license. That's what's going to allow you to get your fictitious business name. That's what's going to help you get a bank account. Yeah. And so it goes back to the whole, um, the, the education component and making sure that we're educating them. And so we see that Immigrant entrepreneurs, they want to be in compliance and they want to make sure that they have, you know, their ducks in a row. And so we are there to provide them with that support. I would say just at a very high level, um, the myth of immigrants taking jobs, <laughs> everything I have known my entire life, growing up here in the Bay Area and working at a lot of small businesses and having supported small businesses over the last five years Immigrants create jobs. Mm -hmm. And I, I think um, there's two things, I'd say, that would, as we were talking about earlier, even make that just an exponential amount of growth in jobs created by immigrants. And one piece is eliminating the discrimination that immigrants face. Um, and... And that comes with a lot of the, the toxic language that you hear at the national level that trickles down even into the Bay Area. Um, and I think it is a wedge that is used to divide a lot of communities, which is part of why we frame all of our work as building an alliance. So we have a, a membership organization, the Bay Area Entrepreneurship Alliance. Several of the groups in here are members of our group, but we want to combat that divisive uh, rhetoric that is having an impact mm -hmm. on how immigrants navigate the world um, here. And then the second piece is more around accessibility. And I think there have been so many great points that people have, have mentioned here that is sort of at the other end of the spectrum of discrimination and outward hate at the far end. And then at the other end of that spectrum is complete access and trust. And some of the things we've talked about are moving us into this and fighting that battle of moving us onto the other end of the spectrum. But um, one of the things that we've talked about around access is little things. Like we used to have just a phone number you could call or a website. And we said, oh, we'll just send everybody to our website. And like uh, almost three years ago, we started offering a text hotline and found a lot of folks in the immigrant community we were working with, they were calling us and they were like, we just want to text you. Can we just text? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we started a text hotline and it was just little things where it doesn't, we didn't have to do anything fancy. We use a Google voice number that one of us has responsibility for responding to at any given time. And now we have a 24-hour text hotline. But it's little things that can move us into, like, I trust you. I want to build a, and design something that will meet you where you need to be because I trust you that your vision is so incredible. You're going to create a couple hundred jobs. Um, so I think just the, the myth of taking of jobs is, is just it could not be further from the reality that I have seen. And I think it, when I hear that, I just think, okay, the, the message you've been, you've been hearing that message. You're over, you're over on this end. Um, and that's not the listener's fault necessarily, but, uh, there is a degree of fear and, and receptivity that, that comes to that message when people are scared and economically disempowered. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I can share a testimony and agree with all of you because, um, you know, like uh, my team is the team of production admin, 
and operation we are like 22 but besides that i have like i can say, i can say coaches that i have to start to pay and i can say that we hire all over the world right now it's like a, the the there is two persons who is taking care of the quality and control and um this this is a very helpful for us like uh, they are doing our hazard plan this SSOP and many things that i need on my on my location that that's not true that we you know take the jobs so for anyone we create jobs <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and um and another like another thing i have um, another person that she's in paris in francia but she's like a really nice entrepreneur a woman that she wants to start to um, she's just waiting that we are certified by the USDA, and she's going to start to visit all the um, markets over there <laughs> and wow. educate people. And so, because our dream is to be like worldwide, worldwide company. Yeah. So, yeah. so maybe we're going to start with her. Barbarita is her name. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. I definitely think that this message do needs to get out to the world uh, about yeah. the impact that immigrant entrepreneurs such as yourself, Alicia, are making and all the great work that the organizations are doing to support immigrant entrepreneurs. So, Yeti, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more uh, about the context of where you're located. You're located in Fresno, right in the middle of the Central Valley, which is very different for many of us who are here in the Bay Area. Very different context. We were just talking about uh, the resource constraints in the Central Valley compared to LA, compared to the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges that are specific to your region and what your organization is doing to address those challenges. Mm -hmm. So if, if, we, if we focus on the topic of immigration in the Central Valley, we find that we have more individuals wanting to start a business. Um, we have individuals that are looking to create their own jobs, right? Because the current climate is kind of keeping everybody afraid of, you know, whether they have their immigration status pending or not. And so we see a rise in the individuals creating their own jobs. And so, uh, you know, we are supporting them with uh, making sure that they have all of the tools and the resources um, so that they can have a, a business of their own. Um, the second thing would be being able to obtain the financing um, you know, we have developed an amazing partnership with the Opportunity Fund. We were so excited when they came to us, uh, I think about almost two years ago, um, because we need efficient, you know, lenders. We need somebody that can give us an answer because, you know, I think Alicia may say, you know, I need the money right now. And that's part of also the challenge. We don't have um, enough organizations providing the lending and so that causes a lending desert in our Central Valley uh, because we don't have enough um, capital to provide to, to, the, to the businesses there. And as a result of that, we find that entrepreneurs are looking to the easy way out, right? Mm -hmm. So the challenge there is high interest loans, fast loans that they can get literally on the spot, <laughs> And, um, you know, they get into the predatory lending. Yep. And so what happens is, unfortunately, sometimes when they come to us, it's a little too late. Yep. You know, they, they um, gave their merchant account and they have money being pulled out. I've, I've seen as big as five to six hundred dollars a day. Mm. So when you wow. think about a whole month right, of, of those payments. And so um, that's a huge challenge for us. And so um, what we are doing to address that is that we are, uh, again, going back to the education, educating and making sure that entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are ready to borrow, that they're borrowing responsibly, um, educating them about the resources available um, through the partners that we have. Um, the Fresno Air Hispanic Foundation, we just recently became a lender as well. The Department of Commerce provided us with a small revolving loan fund in a community called Kalinga. And, um, you know, so we are also trying to help close the gap because that's what it's about, right? Educating the entrepreneurs that they can have access to financing that they can actually afford. 
like Luz was mentioning earlier. So, um, you know, that's one of the, the most uh, common challenge that, that we see in our valley. Great. And I know you've been leveraging a lot of partnerships, such as the partnership with Opportunity Fund. So, Luz, can you talk to us a little bit more about what do you think is most needed to help immigrant entrepreneurs get to the next level, whether it's hiring employees, opening new branches, exporting, going international? What do you think needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the education is key. I mean, I think yeah. we've seen, and, and if you look at the foundation of how Opportunity Fund was founded 25 years ago, it was, you know, a little bit of seed money and the right type of financial and technical advice is what's most powerful. So education is key. Yeah. Um, capital and, and, and being able to give people an opportunity and educate them on what it takes in order to be able to access a loan. There are a lot of myths. We've talked about them. But sitting people down, you know, not every borrower that comes to us, we can approve for a loan, mm-hmm. right? Um, we would love to say 100% yeses, but that would not be responsible either because we want to make sure that when a borrower comes to us, they take a loan, and they're done with that loan, they end up in a better place than when they first met us. And so because of that, we have to say no to a number of folks But being able to say no and say, if you do these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. then we will be able to qualify you for a responsible loan. And you'd be surprised how, because these folks are looking for loans to really help with their primary source of income, to help support themselves and their families, they take action and and, and they do those kinds of things. Um, You know, for us... Uh, We're a lender, and we provide technical assistance and financial advice as it relates to the loan. But the gap for capital in the U.S., loans under $100,000, is $87 billion, Mm. okay? And every day, you have banks that are saying no to 8,000 loan applications, Mm. 8,000. That's 2 million no's a year. And unfortunately for women... When they get money, it's only 4% of the dollars that go to women-owned businesses, right? And so what we realize is that this is such a huge gap that we will never be able to fill it on our own. And so what we do is we partner. We partner with a number of organizations throughout the communities in which we operate that can bring to bear the services and even capital that these communities need. So I do believe that if we're going to solve this huge problem of access and education primarily to immigrant communities, people of color and women, we need to do it collaboratively. We need to do it with partnerships and we need to, you know, forget who's doing what. We're here for a mission. We're here for impact. And everybody needs to come together because this is a big problem and it's getting bigger. Great. Thank you. And Nayeli, to contribute to the conversation, what are some strategies to level the playing field for immigrant entrepreneurs? And what is the Bay Area Entrepreneurship Alliance doing to contribute to this? Um, It's so funny because everything you just said really beautifully answers that question. Um, So uh, I guess two two pieces of what I'd like to share about what we're up to and... um, and I think the first piece, you've really covered so much of it. We, we, uh, we've noticed, you know, I did an interview with someone a few years ago, just, can I pick your brain? And she is a, a woman partner at a venture capital firm. And I was like, can I just ask you a bunch of questions? And she said, um, you know, basically the key for their firm is when an entrepreneur, um, when they're going to invest in an entrepreneur, they wrap that entrepreneur around um, with the best quality marketing and PR and the best quality HR and the best legal you can find and the best, like that's the team that surrounds the person who's receiving their capital to, and it's not just benevolent, that's so they can increase the likelihood that their investment's going to do really well. And so sometimes I think about, you know, and, and part of why we built out the Bay Area Entrepreneurship Alliance is how can we recreate that in our community-based, community-serving, scrappy way? Uh, because we don't have the resources to hire this world-class team of, you know, the top talent defined in a certain uh, space to be the top talent. 
you know, well, well, it's debatable, but um, <laughs> there's some very talented people who do marketing and PR in, in our grassroots world. Um, and, you know, how can we recreate that <coughs> with less resources, but with maybe more grit and determination and, and community? Um, and so much of that has been exactly what you just described. So that's a big part of why the Bay Alliance is what we call it. The Bay Alliance meets quarterly and we have three stakeholder groups, the people who identify as entrepreneurs, the people who provide capital, the financial supporters, and the people who provide all the other kind of support for the business. And each of those stakeholder groups in the beginning laid out what are our shared visions. So they have a shared vibrant vision for each group. And we have um, an organizer for each group. And basically, we go through a shared strategy. We lay out short-term and long-term goals. Um, we have a plan that we share together to unite around what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and that ties into navigation, the other stuff I mentioned. Um, and then the second thing, very briefly, because I know we're probably running short on time now, <laughs> is uh, we are launching on Friday um, this thing called the value system to help bring those kind of social impact uh, measures that you were describing earlier to our local small business community. So um, we're giving local community-based community serving folks values verified um, like decals that they can use on their products and on their uh, you know, websites and um, on their doors of their brick and mortar businesses to help identify them as a, a values-based business. And, and we see that as a big part of of communicating to the broader world and helping to message the fact that you're, you're here for those deeper reasons. Um, uh, so I think the, the solutions that other folks have described are, are really just central to everything that we're working on. And oh. as an aside, I'd love to talk with you all after this about how we can work <laughs> together more. <laughs> Thank you. And I have one last question before we open it up to the audience. Um, so, Alicia, we'll start off with you. You've experienced very, very quick growth. Um, in just the last five years, you have grown your business to move into a 6,000-square-feet factory, scale up to 22 employees, and selling over 40,000 tamales a month. So what's your recommendation for other entrepreneurs that are looking to scale, that are looking to grow the way that you have? Yeah, well, based on all my experience right now, it's like, uh, you know, first you have to have the, the passion and the love of what you are doing mm. and believe on this. And not, nothing can, if you believe it, n nothing can stop <coughs> you if you have that dream. And, um, and be educated. Yeah, it's one. It's really important to be educated because, uh, like um, you know, like I say, I just grew up like like that, and and <laughs> I don't know too much about HR. You know, I went with one coach of mine, and she just bring like a big Bible of HR, and I said, oh my God, I have to be careful, you know, with many things, and and yeah, right now I'm I'm just studying too and growing and and doing everything, but the education is really important. It's really important to uh, have a really health uh, and business. Yep. <laughs> Great. Thank you. See? I want to remind our audience here at the Commonwealth Club and on the radio that we're listening to Dr. Perez and this wonderful panel with us today on the subject of an ecosystem of hope, immigrant entrepreneurs. Shall we begin our questions? Yes. <laughs> Please, if you have a question for this wonderful panel, if you could line up at the microphone. Don't be shy. <laughs> and while we're waiting for that, I would... Here we are. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, thank you all. It was very interesting to hear your conversation. Thank you. Uh, one is a comment and the other is a question. My comment would be, it sounds to me like all the nonprofit organizations, in order to grow what you're doing, you need donations. True? Yes, ma'am. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep that in mind, audience. Um, my question has to be, mostly we've been talking about the Hispanic community, the Latin community. Are, do you find any significant differences with other immigrant communities, Asian and Middle Eastern, et cetera? 
<laughs> Should I start first? <laughs> <Go for it. laughs> um, you know, I believe in Fresno, we have the largest Hmong population, um, I believe, in the nation. And, um, you know, the Fresno Area Hispanic Foundation always get questions, well, do you only help Hispanics? And the, the answer is no, we don't. Um, we, we were founded by a group of local Hispanic business owners that saw the need to create an organization that could serve as a one-stop shop for, for bis- individuals looking to start a business or expand their business. Um, but we serve, um, you know, diverse uh, populations, diverse uh, individuals with diverse um, backgrounds. Um, you know, we have the Fresno Metro Black Chamber of Commerce that is in our building as well that we partner with. Um, and, you know, just like Luz was saying earlier, we collaborate with other organizations because if we don't know, um, you know, how to help the, the entrepreneur with something, we know that we can contact the, the Fresno Metro Black Chamber and they may know the answer or we can call our partners at Opportunity Fund and they can help us out with that. And so, um, the, the, um, Indian population is big in Fresno as well. You know, we have Fresno is actually a test market for a lot of corporations because of that diversity that we have, right? We have this melting pot in, in the central Valley and, um, we, we serve as a nonprofit organization. We are open to everybody that comes through our doors. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, we've got, and and it really is, it's been kind of in channels. Um, We are a large lender to large long-haul trucks, uh, sole proprietors, owners. uh, 90% they're, you know, Asian. And so the challenge of access to responsible and affordable capital uh, and lack of having credit scores or thin files and not knowing the system transcends, you know, ethnic backgrounds and, and demographics. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, this is something that we, um, frankly, have to do a better job in other demographics um, because we've been, you know, born and birthed in, in California. Our focus has been predominantly Hispanic, but we are expanding into, into other, and this, you know, this trucking lending has allowed us to do that, but the challenges are very, very similar. One, one piece I would just add to answer your question is, um, I think this, uh, administration has in an interesting way resulted in more unification of immigrant communities. I was at a meeting in Oakland a year and a half ago or so, um, not in this capacity, but in the kind of community capacity with um, it was all Spanish speakers from different countries in Central America and the Yemeni community. Mm-hmm. And it was this really beautiful thing. And the cause of it was terrible. Um, it was right, you know, during a lot of the, the deportation, the beginning of the whole process. And but the unification I saw as something that I wish we saw more of in this space. Um, and if we can be, you know, really smart about this and strategic about this, I think we could start to introduce more topics of conversation into those convenings that aren't necessarily about this, but I think folks attending might find that they have a lot in common that they can build together around. Hello. Hola. <laughs> uh, I have two comments. Uh, I think they're more comments than questions. Um, and it was uh, sparked by the word uh, was used, collaboration. And um, I, I think that's really a key uh, strategy uh, to continue to collaborate. So that brings up uh, two, uh, two topics. One is... Um, as you said, this is mostly California right now, but I'm thinking of historically, for example, the Cuban um, uh, groups in Florida, for example, entrepreneurs, the wave of entrepreneurship that came from those years, and a lot of my friends who lived there in the Miami area. So the, my, um, as an organizational consultant, that I, that's what I do, uh, I try to look at organizations as learning systems 
And what can they learn from other systems, from other organizations? So not just individual, but organizations. So uh, when we're talking about collaboration, I'm talking about, okay, could the Cuban community in Florida share their knowledge with the community here in California or in Fresno? Uh, what kind of collaboration? Uh, we call that knowledge networking, by the way, in, in our business. So and now with the rise of computers and networks and Zoom and all that, you could have a lot of knowledge being a mentoring. Mm -hmm. You could have someone mentoring Alicia from Puerto Rico, from New York, mm -hmm. etc. So it doesn't have to be local or in Fresno. So that's one, one point. The, the more opening up of the knowledge... And, and more and more people are willing to share their knowledge than ever before. I mean, if you ask a McKinsey, they may not do it. And, you know, McKinsey would charge you a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but, but there are other people who would be glad to uh, share. So I was just wondering, because I know a lot of the people in the Cuban community, for example, a long time ago, and the Chamber of Commerce there. So that's one comment. Uh, and the other one had to do with also, um, well, one of my sons uh, works at Google, and he created uh, an app. And in this app uh, that Google creates, it's like a business university app, uh, and it's free, and it's for entrepreneurs. It's like an MBA program uh, for free. So I'm not trying to promote Google or my son. <laughs> uh, but I thought of, well, you know, Alicia was again talking about, she's learning about HR with this stack of books, well, this uh, a program that she can go to and get basically a quick MBA for free. And that's where it was created. That's it. I just wanted to share those resources with Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. thanks. Um, on the first comment, could I just make a quick plug for sure. the Kauffman Foundation? They have on their website, if you put in uh, the ecosystem builders playbook sure and they do convenings of what they call eco entrepreneurship ecosystem builders um, and i've gone to the last two of their conferences but it's like a an incredible time for people all around the country and even around the world to get together and share about how they're building their own local entrepreneurship ecosystem um, so it's a little bit of that mm -hmm. there isn't really that mentorship thing you talked about though that sounds really great <laughs> thank you so much thank you thank you Hi, I have two questions. Uh, first one, are um, any particular strategies in terms of dealing with brick-and-mortar businesses in particular? I think there's some reports that there's only 5,000 um, brick-and-mortar businesses left per major urban area in the Bay Area. So mm -hmm. strategies to um, sustain or maintain brick-and-mortar privately-owned businesses. And then the other strategies in terms of equity funding. We talk a lot about debt, and yes, that's mm -hmm. what these businesses relied on, but if we are going to get more to scale, we got to get equity, and that's a really hard nut to crack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, um, I'll, I'll start. Um, on helping small businesses that are brick and mortar, and, you know, it depends. I mean, you talked about the deserts, right, if you see them throughout America. And, you know, for right or for wrong, um, Banks sort of are the ones that bring, you know, local community activity. And as banks have left, particularly starting in the Great Recession, it have left this, you know, plain level field where now, uh, from a capital perspective, the ones that have entered are basically predatory lenders, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, communities have started to disperse where they can get more jobs and where, where there's more economic activity. Our approach is focused, again, on collaboration and community partners, right? Because these businesses need services, and not just financial services, but they need all kinds of support. And the way that we are, you know, getting to those businesses to provide capital, which is essential, is by building a significant large network of community partners in those markets um, across the spectrum of services, you know, financial, technical assistance, but accounting, legal, all sorts of services. And so we believe that community partners can really sort of be, because they're in the community, they're the trusted partners, 
right? They're the ones that these small businesses know. And they can then pull from other markets and other knowledge and other expertise to bring to bear to the local community. Um, on the equity side, it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge because, um, you know, if you're going to fund some of these small businesses, generally capital comes from friends and family, mm-hmm. right? You don't find many VCs and you don't find many private equity looking to invest in Main Street businesses in America. And so... Um, for the last two years that I've been at Opportunity Fund, um, I've had a lot of conversations of, you know, we do a great job with debt, but we know that the debt is not an all-in, right? That's not the answer for everybody. And even for borrowers that we see need debt, they also need that layer of equity. Look, it's no different than us, right? We as nonprofits get capital from banks and we lend to small businesses, But guess what? We need net assets. We need donations. We need equity. It's exactly the same challenge that these small businesses have. For us, we get donations. These businesses don't get donations because nobody's donating money to a for-profit business. So it's a big challenge. I don't have the answer for you. If I find it, I'm coming to tell you. Hi, just from hearing you all speak today, it's clear that the work you do is so important to so many communities. Um, So I wanted to ask, what are some things that folks can do to get involved and really support each of your organizations? Well, I'll (laughs) take the lead. Um, Thank you for asking a question. That was actually a question that's on our list and we didn't get to it. But, um, you know, um, you mentioned the the mentorship and, um, you know, all of you here have knowledge and and you have an air of expertise and that air of expertise can be used with the entrepreneurs that we work with the immigrant entrepreneurs whether it's hr whether it's business management whether it's financing a lot of the times too you know immigrant entrepreneurs don't know how they can invest their money and um that's one way that you can contribute right that mentorship part and um, the second way, you know, of course, you know, we like we mentioned, we we need the donations. We need those grant, grants because that's how we are able to provide a greater impact. If we can h- obtain additional s- investments and grants and funding, we can have more boots on the ground. We can have a larger impact. We can have a larger outreach and we can um, help our community more. Yeah. You know, I would say um, shop local. Mm-hmm. Support by hashtag opportunity funded. <laughs> first first thing you could do here tonight um and and to jerry's point i'd say you know donations i mean for nonprofits in our case for every dollar that we get we can deploy 25 dollars in capital and that capital creates 50 dollars in economic activity mm. every loan helps to support three jobs mm. and so we're talking real meaningful impact and so organizations like ours that are lending at scale, you know, to the tune of over $100 million a year. We need that, but we need a lot of capital to continue to have that impact. And then, you know, for folks that say, well, I want to do the philanthropy, but I would also like to do a little bit of impact investing, you know, the ability to invest in impact notes um, that nonprofits like us um, also have, you know, give you financial return, but a whole lot of social return. And Luz and Nayeli, Alicia, and uh, Yati for their comments today. I also want to thank the audience that's here, um, both here at the club and on the radio, and now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, celebrating over 100 years of enlightened discussion, is adjourned. Thank you all for coming. Thank you.